Hey everybody, this is Brother Frank, and welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. Glad to have you here with me. I know it's Thanksgiving, um, people with their families traveling all over. Uh, we were supposed to be in North Carolina, but I had uh, came down with a cold slash fever and everything, but thank God I'm getting better. I appreciate uh, everybody who prays for The Remnant Call. Um you know, we were just decided to stay home because my grandmother, it's down there. She's older, much older. And, uh, but you know what? Sometimes it's not the Lord's will that you go every place. And so we're just thankful to be here and to be alive and, and feeling better. And, you know, it's funny. Um, my friend Todd mentioned to me, uh, tonight, as I was talking to him earlier, he said now that his wife had had a baby, she could finally understand what it's like for a man to have a cold. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I know that's ridiculous, but, uh, you know, us men, we doesn't matter just cause I was in the Marines and, and like to play the tough guy role all the time. Uh, when we get sick, we're like little babies. So thank God, dear, thank you for taking good care of me and always being there for me. Even when I uh, complain and I, you know, it seemed like I'm going to die. But truthfully, uh, you know, women, they just can man up us men. We're just we're weak like that. But you know what? Praise God. It, it's going to be good. Tonight's program, though, I, this is I'm going to share with you tonight a gem. I, I think one of the best programs arguably ever on the remnant call. And that's Brother C.R. Oliver. We had him on back in the beginning of 2017. January. The Remnant Call started later, uh, maybe August or so of 2016. Um, something I just wanted to do for years. I finally got it done. But we had Brother C.R. Oliver on, and it was a powerful program. The Road to Captivity. Folks, it's as relevant now, if not more, than it was back then. But the the honesty of this man's heart will get you. And you got to hear it. Um, you can hear the love he has for God's people, but the seriousness of the warning uh, right from the very word of God of the dangers that we are facing right now. And folks, you do not want to miss hearing this program uh, on the road to captivity with brother C.R. Oliver. So we're going to get right into the show right now and enjoy. God bless you. We just want to welcome everyone, and our special guest tonight, Dr. C.R. Oliver, is going to be joining us here. In just a few words, just want to say thank you to everyone that has been supporting us, liking us on Facebook, is subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you just go to YouTube and search for Remnant Call, we're the top channel that pops up there, or just go to Facebook forward slash Remnant Call, and you can pick us up there and like our page and join in with us and help us to share this good news of Jesus. Jesus Christ soon return and we must be prepared so that we can face the hours that are ahead of us. Even though they are dark, our God is mighty and he is strong and he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And with that, I am just so thankful that Dr. Oliver is going to be here with us tonight. If you are not familiar with who Dr. C.R. Oliver is, well, let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Oliver has been a professor who has taught on a range of 
subjects through the years. Uh, he was trained initially in behavioral science, but went on to speak and teach on biblical studies and philosophy. As a pastor, a minister, he served for 28 years alongside and teaching others on ministry. And in 53 different countries, he has been able to share his talents with the world. Also, though, Dr. Oliver has a strong commitment to missionary work. And so he has been a very dedicated missionary. As an author, though, he has written 10 different books, deep studies into the Word of God with books like on Isaiah and on Ezekiel and the one we're going to talk about tonight, Jeremiah. And we just are excited about this. He's also been the president of the Oliver Evangelistic Association International. It's a nonprofit group that just helps in the missions work around the world. And Dr. Oliver has been a faithful, dedicated servant of the Lord. Well, he is 81 years young, but he is still at it. He's still got his boots on, and he has been so gracious enough to join us here at the Remnant Call tonight. And with that, I would like to say, Dr. Oliver, welcome. Are you here with us tonight? I am, and it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Well, I am just so thankful. I, I'll tell you, just to let our audience know, um, Dr. Oliver was just, I know you've been on in the past, but was just recently on the True News broadcast, and my father was so impressed with Dr. Oliver, he called me up right away and said, son, you got to hear this man. Well, I listened to him, and I, before I could get through the entire broadcast, I realized I had to get Dr. Oliver onto this program, and so I want to just say thank you to the Lord Jesus for that, and thank you for Dr. Oliver just agreeing to come on here with us and be here and share with us. Dr. Oliver, um, I just mentioned that you're 81 years old, and it sounds to me like you're full-time still in ministry. Is that right? That is correct. 100% every day, all day long. <laughs> we, we rejoice in that fact as well. We've got good stamina, good health, and we bless the Lord for that. Well, amen. I, I appreciate it. And, and not only, uh, Dr. Oliver, I, I realize that you are in, you've published a lot of books and a lot of detailed scholarly work, but you're also involved in the mission field. And I myself, who've done a lot of missions work, understand that the call to missions is a lifetime commitment that, well, for people that have never been there, uh, never been overseas, never been into a third world country, um, they don't understand what it's like to be bitten by the mission bug. And it looks like you were bitten years ago by that mission bug. Yes, 1975, matter of factly. And I have been involved in missionary work ever since. Matter of factly, I do not take any profits at all from the uh, books that I write. That's not my part. We have some administrative costs in getting them out, but the majority of that, which is profit, goes into a mission fund, and then that is transferred immediately to a missionary enterprise somewhere on the earth. We just finished building a church in Ochiotis in Guatemala, and unfortunately, or, uh, we're looking at uh, the missionaries Larry and Marla Johnson down there. They have been encountered with uh, robbery lately, and some of their uh, missionary stuff has been stolen, and we plan to replace some of that. So that's the type of thing that we do. We primarily are interested in, uh, if, if someone goes onto the website, they will see some of the church buildings that we've built, some in Cambodia, some in other places of the world. I can't even mention some of them because they're in communist countries. 
But you know how that is. What God has his way and his uh, means and methods, and he knows no boundaries. Mm, hallelujah. Well, I, I appreciate you getting out there and still being involved in the mission work. Dr. Oliver, you know as well as anyone, time is short, and we all have a mission, and that's to reach this world, uh, a dying world, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for that. Dr. Oliver, you, uh, like I said, have written, I guess, is it 10 books or, or over 10 books? Yes, 10 books, yes. And you seem to take on the easy subjects like, you know, the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah, now <laughs> Jeremiah, uh, you know, simple, small little books in the Bible. Um, Dr. Oliver, the name of your publication is called Zadok Publications. And I've heard you mention briefly before, and if you could share with our audience, why do you call it Zadok Publications? Well, primarily because Zadok is a word that means in Hebrew, righteous or righteousness. And uh, in the 44th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, a great deal is made uh, between the two kinds of clergy, the clergy that ministers to the people and the clergy that ministers to God. And the Lord divided the clergy at that point, and he said, those who are unlike the sons of Zadok may not minister to me, but only the sons of Zadok may minister unto me because they've kept the holy from the profane. They've shown the difference between that which is righteous and that which is not righteous to the people and have kept themselves holy to me. And I believe that demarcation still stands, and we stand on the sides of the sons of Zadok. And when we have uh, conferences and so forth, we call them Zadok conferences because we believe that righteousness and holiness still must prevail among those who call themselves Christians. Dr. Oliver, I feel that what you're standing upon, unfortunately, is the exact opposite of where this country has been heading for many years, especially in the churches. And it, it seems to me like my grandparents, people in church, they were much more serious about their walk with God. And today, it seems like we're encountering a new generation that church is about how can I feel good. And, and I remember I went in not too long ago into a church, and I remember in the front of the church, they had snacks, they had coffee, people were drinking inside uh, the sanctuary. They were doing whatever they want. And I, I'm not trying to be critical, but it seemed like there was no respect for God. Do you feel that we have lost our respect for who God is and, and reverence for his holiness? Well, if you get me on that subject, I'm allowed to take three to four hours. <laughs> uh, it's really it's really a concern of mine, too, because the smoke and mirrors just doesn't play well with God. And we're going to see some of that when we review the Road to Captivity, the latest book, which is really a commentary, a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on the book of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was one of those prophets that you couldn't misunderstand. He laid everything out pretty clearly, and God worked through him in such a way as to make it plain to the people that their time was up. They had only a limited time, or over the 40 years that he preached, he didn't have one convert, which would be uh, almost a word of non-success in our day because we determine how many people you have and how many converts you have as being how long, how much you are in the Lord. But that isn't true. Jeremiah 
falls in uh, in between Isaiah and Ezekiel. And each one of them played a part in the captivity of, of Israel and of Judah and Jerusalem. I believe you'll find in my book, uh, Studies in Isaiah, that I talk about Isaiah's major project was to reintroduce Israel to their God. They had lost the concept of who God was. They worshipped a God of their imagination. And he spent 66 books, one for each of the books of the Bible. He spent 66 books telling the people that they had to return to the true and the living God who was much alive and much active and was looking over their shoulders, so to speak. And he points out that the 10 tribes of the north of the 12 tribes of Israel were carried away by the Assyrians because they were profligate and they worshipped idols and they separated themselves from uh, Judah and uh, Benjamin, who were the southern two tribes. And those 10 tribes were belligerent toward God and belligerent toward their brethren. They said, we have just as good a clergy as you have. Well, no, they didn't, because uh, Judah and Benjamin kept uh, the temple, and uh, they worked in the area that the Levites and the priests uh, uh, offered sacrifice there, and there was no other place for that. In Samaria, the whole area fell because of uh, the problems they had with the idol worship. And so uh, Isaiah came in and he said, Now, Judah, you observe the, t the ten tribes to the north. They're going to be carried away by the Assyrians. They're going to be dispersed. They're never going to be in that land again. And you remind yourself that could happen to you if you don't change your way and turn around from where you're going. Unless you repent, God's going to bring judgment upon you in captivity. Well, Jeremiah comes along. That was in 700 B.C. when Isaiah was prophesying. In the 500s B.C., the upper 500s, Jeremiah comes along, and he says we're living out the very reality that Isaiah prophesied. You southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God and you're about to be on the road to captivity. Well, they didn't believe him. They wouldn't listen to him. They shunned him. They put him in prison. They isolated him. They called him names. They did everything. They, they destroyed his, the manuscripts that he gave to them. He, they treated him, they mistreated him on many sides, but God said, don't worry about that. I'm with you all the way. I've got your back. Matter of fact, you've been my servant even before you were born because I anointed you and baptized you in the Holy Ghost as an infant child in your mother's womb. And when you were born, you, you hit the road running as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful testimony. Amen. Then comes along Ezekiel. Ezekiel got his vision of God on the river Kivar along about six years before the end of Jeremiah, and somewhere like about the six, six years before the burning and sacking, completely burning of the walls uh, in temple in Jerusalem. The cover of my book, The Road to Captivity, shows that burning essence. It's a portrayal of the people being carried off. 
and the city in flames. And it looks like in the front of the book that you're looking through heat uh, as the captor, captors come and take away the captors. Now, and when Ezekiel comes, some of the cities have already been uh, placated. Some of the Nebuchadnezzar's already made his move on the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel, but he hasn't carried off everyone. He hasn't gone down to that final stroke. He's already set up King Zedekiah because he is a puppet king, and Madaniah was his name, and he just changed it over to Zedekiah, and he was the last king of that era. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had taken off the good people, the people who were intellectual and young people who had minds, that's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came. And he, that's when Ezekiel was brought in, because Ezekiel was a priest. And he was living in the camp of the Israelites on the river Kibar when he had his discovery of God, when God made himself plain and he saw the wheel in the middle of the wheel. Matter of fact, I'm writing now a series on Ezekiel. But that's... That's the composite picture that you see. And the reason Ezekiel got what he got was that the people were still stubborn, still unrepentant, still unaware that God was not, quote, with them and was going to, quote, deliver them. Jeremiah could have said, listen, it's not going to be seven years. It's going to be 70 years. You just will settle into the fact that a generation is going to be taken in captivity and never return. Well, Ezekiel comes now, and he says, I'm going to tell you why all of this happened. Some of you haven't gotten through your mind yet what happened. You don't know why God's holy people could be so mistreated by the God who loves them. And yet I'm here to tell you why. And he goes through a whole series of reasons God reveals to him. But over in the 44th chapter, he gets down to brass tacks at that point because he, God shows him that in the temple, the priests, the Levites, were worshiping God, offering sacrifices, doing the religious things, and then returning to their private apartments and falling down before a sex god, Tammuz, and worshiping that god as an idol all the while putting themselves and displaying themselves as the reverend so-and-so or the doctor so-and-so or the high priest or whatever their office was in the priesthood. God said, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. So Ezekiel said, well, let's just kill them all. God said, no, let's let them minister to the people. Let's let them go ahead doing the marriage and the burials and the counseling and all the things they have to do and offering of sacrifices. But they may not minister unto me. And that's when the clergy was split right there. Actually, it was split before that because God told Jeremiah that he wouldn't take any more people who were uncircumcised of heart. It didn't matter whether they were circumcised in the flesh or not, which made them a Jew. But no, 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 made them ritually right. No, 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 that wasn't the circumstance. God said, I'm going to judge you by the circumcision of your heart. 
Now, the strange thing, what God began to do in my life is I began to write the commentary on the book of Jeremiah and entitled it The Road to Captivity is because Jeremiah presided over the complete capture of his own nation. He presided over the loss of spiritual uh, uh, pragmatism. Mm. He presided over the kings being displaced. He presided over prophets and priests that uh, abandoned the Lord. He presided over that. He knew what was going on. And the Lord was revealing to him in things not known to the people. And he was the only prophet. There were many, many prophets in Israel at this time, many people who could talk to the king and tell him, well, don't listen to Jeremiah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But he was the only one that God sent. He had the only voice, and yet he was put on the back of the burner, so to speak. Well, let me tell you this. The prophet may be on the back burner, but his prophetic word is not. Mm, amen. And those words began to take precedence over all other words in that kingdom. You know, it's an interesting thing. I'm going to tell you some things right now that I believe cause us to realize that just what happened during Jeremiah's day could happen to the United States and that overnight. Many people are looking for the, you know, uh, Donald Trump to be the savior of this thing. Well, he isn't. He is, I believe, a, the God-appointed man for the office. But for right now, we have a reprieve, a brief reprieve. Zedekiah offered 11 years of, depri of uh, reprieve. And that was a short window for which they must repent. Where we are along that scale, I do not know, but I've been realizing since many, many years ago what some of the things are that could cause the captivity of this nation. I'm going to take you back to a classroom in 1972. I was teaching social sciences at that point, and I had in my class many foreign students many of them from the Middle East, carrying Israeli passports, but even though they were Palestinians. The Ayatollah Khomeini came to power, and I realized that I did not know much about the Ayatollah, and I didn't know very much about Islam. as a long time back, you see. We didn't have the Internet. You couldn't Google or Wikipedia or something. You couldn't find out things of that nature, but we began to have... Uh, coffee breaks after the class. I had a three-hour class on Tuesday night. We met for coffee. And I would parse these students that were from the Middle East, and I would ask them, now, if the Ayatollah Khomeini told you to kill me, would you have to do it? And they thought for a little while, because I had the grade book, <laughs> and I, uh, they said yes. And that's when I began to realize I have to study something about Islam. I have to know what is the history of these people. I was introduced after a long search mechanism because there was no Internet at that time. There was an interlibrary loan between the universities. But I was able to locate a book called Holy Terror. 
that book was over a thousand pages, and it told about the intent of the imams in the is- Islamic world. When they came to Cairo in 1933, two years before I was born, and they determined that they would have someone in the White House sympathetic to their cause by the year 2010. I thought when I read that, that will never happen, not in this country. We're smarter than that. But it's happened. Mm. Then I was introduced to a book entitled, When the Word is Given. This was a book outlining the fact that among those congregations of Islamics, those who lead those congregations have a special word that when that word is passed to them, they go into action. What is the action that was proposed? That fires be set in major cities in so many places that the fire departments could not meet the demand. That, that disruption would come into the cities in such a way as the police department be completely depleted. There would be going th- goings on in so many places it wouldn't even be able to get to all of them. And in that, that was to happen in every city, every countryside, every portion, every place that the Islamic had congregations. And that word could be transferred by what we know now as the Internet. I thought, my Lord, in 1972, how would you do that? But now it becomes evident that we know how we could do it. This nation could be afire and totally disrupted in one fell night when the word is given. Now, I'm not doing that to scare an audience. I'm giving that to reality check. We've got to do something before God. We've got to become holy before him. We've got to renew our efforts for an awakening among our people. But alas, Judah and Benjamin did not heed the call of Jeremiah. I want to tell you that teaching social sciences causes you to realize some things. And when I wrote the commentary on Jeremiah, I wrote it from a religious point of view, but also from a social point of view. I looked at the economy of the day, their day. I looked at the society of their day. I looked at the national mind for their day, and I wrote on page eight very quickly. When the national mind is evil and finally expresses itself in terms of a single national will, and we're seeing that on liberals, we're seeing that from the Hollywood, we're seeing that on the agendized, we're seeing that from the feminists, we're seeing that from specialized groups, we're seeing that from all sorts of of, uh, people, from all different walks. We're seeing a national mind being formed. It may not be that your mind or my mind, but it is the mind that presents itself to the world. And the national mind of governments in the Western world is being expressed universally. We see them in our news on a daily basis. Well, when that national, that national mind becomes a national will, then God usually brings that nation to its knees. He has no compunction on his part. The only way to handle it is for devastation to occur. And there came a time in Judah when God prohibited the prayers for their deliverance and guaranteed if those prayers were offered, they would not be heard. Even if Moses and Samuel rose from the dead, 
came back and interceded for them, they would not be heeded. Mm. That's a terrible place to be. That is. That is. But you see, what once was God's children became the devil's children. And what they used to walk in, they no longer walked in. They deceived themselves. And God said, I'm not going to sanction that. Matter of factly, in chapter 4 of Ezekiel, in verse 22, he said, For my people are foolish. They've not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They have no... They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. I'm sorry, Frank, to say that that characterizes many of the people today. We have an extremely shallow society. We have an extremely shallow church. And the body of believers are acting like silly children playing games. Not only with one another, but with God. And that day is about over. The rope is about run out. We've come to the place that silly children, unwilling to take responsibility for their actions, must come to the realization that there is a judgment coming. He said, you have not attended unto, in, attended unto me, but I'm going to attend unto you. I remember how that threat went with me as a child. And God meant it more as that same thing, a loving father who is going to take care of business. Matter of factly, Jeremiah ran in in the fifth chapter of Jeremiah, a powerful chapter. By the way, I mentioned on True News that I preached that chapter, and if, any, and if anybody is serious with God, if any pastor is serious by God, He'll go to the fifth chapter of Jeremiah and he'll preach it in its entirety to his congregation one Sunday morning and see what the results are. Mm. But I doubt seriously anyone will do that because, you see, we can skip and choose throughout Scripture and take those promises that we want to have, but we will miss the point if we don't realize that they're, talking, they're a part of the concise whole of that book. Listen to Jeremiah 5.1. Run to and fro. This is God speaking to him. Through the streets of Jerusalem, see now and know, and seek in her open places, if you can find a man, if there is anyone who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. He's going to pardon a whole nation if he can find one man that really seeks the truth. He had better odds than that in Sodom and Gomorrah. He told Abraham, if you can find ten men, and you see, finding ten men in Sodom and Gomorrah was a very difficult task. He couldn't find them. But like Leonard Ravenhill said, after all, Sodom had no Bible. Mm. That's why Jesus could come to Bethsaida and Chorazin and say to them, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it'll be for you. What do we got? What do we have in this nation? We have the Bible. And we have Bible teachers 24-7 by satellite. We have all kinds of barrages of messages. But do we have a message of truth? And the truth is simply this. Unless man repents, unless there is a turn to the living God, this nation faces a captivity, not an economic downturn, not a financial reversal, not a governmental failure. No, that's not the point. 
The point is spiritual because at the very base of every spiritual issue is an unre- of every of ab- ever abnormality, and the abnormality is our is our nation. At the base of every abnormality is an unresolved spiritual issue. All history is spiritual, and God knows that these things happened historically, and they're portrayed if you go back and study ancient history, which is not done very much anymore because no one wants to have to come to confront these great men of God. Dr. Oliver, uh, I tell you, I feel like I've been in a church service already, and um, I'm I'm eating uh, this sermon up, and I really appreciate it. You know, you mentioned something here about the national mind, and it it brought me to in my memory. I remembered a verse in Jeremiah, um, in Jeremiah uh, six nineteen. It says, "Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit." of their thoughts because they have not hearkened unto my words nor to my law but rejected it and dr oliver i feel today that god has been pleading and crying and begging i mean the people to turn and and we've said no we want to do it our ways and he says that's fine if you that's what you want if this is what you want to watch on television this is what you want to listen to then i'm going to give you the fruit of your thoughts and I feel that's what we're doing today. And it's not only in the nation. It seems like it's in the church because the church seems like to be this barrier where we were to put a stop to it. But instead, it's like we're embracing things in church now today that that are just ungodly. And God's rewarding us with, with the fruit of it. Frank, you're exactly correct. The whole thrust of three books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel is this. God did not hold the national leaders altogether responsible for the national decline and for the capture of Israel. He held the priests, the prophets, and the spiritual leaders of the people responsible. And he said, there's where the crux lies, right there. Had they preached what I told them to preach, had they ministered like I told them to minister, when I told them to minister, to whom I told them to minister, and adhered to my ways, we would not see what we're seeing in this nation. And that's what the the message was in Jeremiah's day. It's the same message today. God holds the shepherds responsible. God holds the the prophets and the priests responsible. And I'm going to show that before this hour is up, hopefully. Amen. Well, let's let's jump into the the book, The Road to Captivity. Uh, Dr. Oliver, you said that this is it's not just a book about Jeremiah. It is a detailed study uh, commentary on the book of Jeremiah. And is it's also a way groups can actually have Bible study on Jeremiah as an individual group or as a church or a, a home fellowship, whatever it might be. The book is designed for that. I did 12 chapters, which means that you could have, and I also have a workbook along with it. That's, I guess, the didactic point of view, the teacher in me. But I developed a syllabus that is conjoint to this, that you can take each of the 12 chapters and do 12 months of study. If you have a study group, there the handbook is set up in such a way as that there are four sections under each chapter, one for each week of the month. And uh, you can improvise and do what you need to do along that line. Some people are taking 12 weeks and doing a a chapter a week. 
You can do it all at once. I had one lady that recently bought the book, and she emailed back that she read it in one night, couldn't put it down. It will change your life. I do believe that with all my heart. I believe that this book will change the life of anyone who reads it because it's very plain and simple what God wants done. And it's something that you can hold to. It's something you can say, well, where are we in our national decline? Are we as far south as they were in Israel? Have we got only 11 years or do we have that long? God show me. And I think the Lord, the Holy Spirit will use this book as a springboard, a jumping place off by which a person can say, well, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me what is the meaning. He's, he's giving this scripture Show this scripture to me in the same way as he, that he has, or else show it to me, Lord, the way you want it to be done if it's different. I'm no authority on anything. I'm just simply sh- saying that Jeremiah is a simple text that's very, very succinct in its message. And it's a privilege to be associated with him. You know, the, gatekeep- the shepherds are the gatekeepers. Those shepherds can feed the sheep or they can starve them out. They can lead them in the wrong way in deception, or they can lead them in the right way. Jeremiah couldn't even talk in the temple. They wouldn't allow him to preach in the temple. He was so anathematized that in the seventh chapter, you mentioned something in the sixth chapter, and they brought down the judgment of a God. But in the seventh chapter, in the first eight verses, just listen to this. He had to, God told him, go stand in the gate. Talk to the people as they go in and out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and at that place proclaim this message. So he gave him a specific message for the people to hear who were going in and out of the temple, offering sacrifices for sin, going through the ritual of it. It's amazing to me how that we can do the ritual of religion without being affected by the power of the, of the, of the word of God. Here's the message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words. Do not say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the the, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place and in this land that I gave you and your forefathers forever and ever. But look, You are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. And he goes on to make the the case that they have become worthless themselves for listening to it. And we know that they did not hear that word in their heart. They heard it vocally, but they didn't hear it in their heart. They may have assented to it. They may have said, that's right, brother. Amen, brother. But they didn't do anything about it. Because we know that captivity came to them, and they were carried off in mass to Babylon, 
even to the point that Nebuchadnezzar was called my servant by God, even though he was a pagan. In Jeremiah seven fourteen and 15, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name. The temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your fathers, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your brothers and the people of Ephraim. The word Ephraim talks about the ten tribes to the north. But I thought the Assyrians took care of them. That wasn't the Assyrians that took care of them. That was God using the Assyrians to punish them mm. and to disperse them all over the world. That's why there are colonies even in Spain and in England and other places of, of, with Jewish backgrounds. The king of Ireland at one time. Jewish backgrounds, part of the ten tribes, the ten northern tribes. Jeremiah said in the 16th verse, with the Lord, let me pray for these people. Let me intercede. And God says to him, do not pray for this people nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me in their behalf, for I will not listen to you. What he did in Shiloh, people don't realize what was done in Shiloh. In the book, Sons of Zadok, I spend a great deal of time talking about the Eli system. Eli was a high priest over Israel while they were in the wilderness. And in Shiloh, they were camped. And there the temple, the uh, tabernacle was raised. And there the people could come and be ministered to. But what does his sons do? Who are his sons? Hophni and Phinehas. They lay with the women in adultery. They took more offering than they were supposed to. They deceived the people. They told them they were all right when they weren't. They counseled them in their evil and kept the evil. God spoke to Eli and he said, do something about your boys. Bring them in, tell them that they can't be priests anymore as long as they act like this. Tell them they need to repent and come back to God. Eli made a little effort, not much. He didn't do anything for that reformation at all. They kept on their position. And finally, when they were in battle in Shiloh with the Philistines, they brought out the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the precious thing of the tabernacle. And they brought it into battle with them, thinking that if we can get this religious thing in there, we can just put the cross out there in front of them. If we can just do something that's religious, God has to honor that. What happened? The Ark of the Covenant was taken off. Hophni and Phinehas were slain. And the people of God were carried off and defeated. The reality is that the Bible is more harsh than what we make our pulpits today. We made a loving God incapable of doing things his way. But I want to tell you the sovereignty of God is not diminished one iota by whether we believe it or not. Jeremiah 9 cries out, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. The day is coming, he said, Egypt. And he mentions Judah, his own people. Judah and Benjamin were like one, so they all, those two tribes were like one, so he calls them Judah. And Edom and Ammon and Moab, those Arab worlds. And all who live in the desert in distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised, including his own people. 
and even the whole of the house of Israel is uncircumcised in their heart. Where, oh, where is the circumcised heart? The uncircumcised heart is rampant among those of the church. Flesh still dominates and stubbornness is everywhere. Pride still rules and the knife lays abandoned. Notice the list of nations included Judah. Notice the others of these nations were those of the enemies of Judah. How sad to be called the people of God. And then here later on, you are not my people anymore. We need revival in, in our churches. We need revival, but not in the, way, in the context we've known revival. We need revival, Frank, but we need it like it had on the Isle of Lewis in, in 1949, Amen. a sovereign move of God based on the fact that intercessors prayed and asked God for over a year for a delivering power in their island, and God brought it down when they got their hearts before the Lord right. Yes, that scripture, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, then he'll hear from heaven above and heal the land and forgive their sin. That's still operating. But it's not operating much in the churches. You know, I find so often in the Bible when God is at his strongest points of judgment, I also find some of his greatest pleadings for mercy. Uh, when he oh, drug my. when he drug them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they didn't want to come, the angels grabbed them by the hands and pulled Lot's family out of there. Um, you see it in Jeremiah when he says in Jeremiah chapter 3, if you'd only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed. And I feel like God is pleading, would you just come clean with what you're doing? Please, just, just talk with me honestly. And I feel like... There are so many people that are so hungry for a true word of God in, in America, but yet in the churches today, they're getting such table scraps. They, they're, they're just wandering around to and fro wanting to find, but there's such a famine in our land, they can't find the truth anymore. In Jeremiah twelve ten, it says, Many rulers, many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. And they have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. You know, Frank, recently I was conversing with a major evangelist who confided about some psychological data being used to raise money. He said giving falls into various motivational categories. Some people are motivated by the sight of little children or romantic love or some success theory. There are many more of these venues, but the folks who are really after big money test their constituents by writing or speaking along some of these predetermined lines and then observing to see which brings in the most offerings. That's what we contend with, my brother. There's where we are, 2017. And the pastors have to own up to the fact that they are the ones responsible. They didn't want to do it in Jeremiah's day, and they don't want to do it in our day. But I'm going to tell you, it's the pastor who is the gatekeeper. It's the religious leaders who determine who will be on their show, on their program, who will serve alongside of them, which theory will be promoted, which activity or agenda will be promoted. 
those kinds of things need to be looked at seriously because of associative justice. When you have associative, associative judgment, you're condemned for what you condone. And we're letting pastors and church leaders and church buildings and church services go downhill to the point that we need to cry out from the, from the pew. We need something besides what we're receiving. We need the truth, and we need God to come down in our midst. Why attend where the Holy Ghost is not welcome? Why be a part of that which is, is already judged? Well, let me say this to you. If you want to be associated with it, remember what Amos said, can two walk together lest they be agreed. So as far as the judgment is concerned, you're as guilty as that pastor who refused to preach. Mm. Oh, well, how is that going to be? Well, I want to take you over to Hananiah on page 162 in my book. And I take all of these in separate sections, too. And it's very interesting what God has to say to the pastors. He's, he really holds them responsible. And in, in, in this particular spot, Hananiah has just told Jeremiah that he isn't trustworthy. That he is not, he took the yoke that God told Jeremiah to wear. Because you see, God gave specific duties for Jeremiah as, as graphics. He wore a sash for a while and then put it in a place where it would deteriorate. And then he brought that sash out and he says, that's what's happened to your ministry. It's deteriorated. Well, they didn't want to see a sash like that. And God told him, take a yoke, an oxen's yoke, and put it around your neck and carry it around with you. When people see you with that yoke on your neck, this is what you're going to say. You're going to say that God has put a yoke upon you and upon the, the, the people. And in Jeremiah 27, 9, therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, your sorcerers, who speak to you saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish, saith the Lord. Know what it says, do not listen to your media, to your government spokespersons, to your financial authorities to your health agencies, to your investment counselors, to your religious leadership, to your trusted advisors. Listen to the Spirit alone. Mm. They prophesied their situation would be short-lived. Even to the religious goods taken would be returned in two years. They said, if it does happen, if we do, if we do get captured, we'll be back here within seven years, and the temple stuff will be brought back in less than two years. And Jeremiah said, that's not the way God told me. So Hananiah took it on himself. He was a prophet, you see. And if you don't believe that people in religion will lie to you, just wait. Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me, speaking to Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord. Now this is in the temple. In the presence of the priests. This is before all the priests and before all the people who are in the temple. And this is what he says, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. And of course he came over and tore the yoke off the, off the shoulders of Jeremiah. 
I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, and within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. While the people were saying Amen, the prophet spoke to Hananiah. Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast you, Hananiah, from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah died that same year, in the seventh month. I'm telling you, judgment is around the corner. And the true prophet of God knows that there's going to be strategic deaths. Because there's some people who are rebelling against God and are teaching others to do so. Oh, I don't want to I don't want to be one of those who are saying ugly things about good people, but I'm saying good things about good people sometimes need to be examined. You see in Jeremiah thirty three three we always quote this passage Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And we should look to that. But we should recognize that Jeremiah had a job to do among those who were the prophets. He had a job to do among those that were high priests. Because those high priests stood in judgment as well. When you think of Pashur, Pashur stood up against Jeremiah. And he said, you're not anything to listen to. Now that's the high priest. This is a top man of the religious world. All these people were really folks who attended church. Mm. So he said, the Lord has not given you the, this, this job. You're just beating your own drum and you're speaking your own out of beating your own tamarines. Well, God said, the Lord has not called you. In Jeremiah, he says, Pasher said, the, the Lord has not called your name, Pasher. But he has called you Megor Misabib. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemy, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with a sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city and all of its produce and all of its precious things and all the treasures of the king of Judah. I will give them into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, carry them to Babylon, and you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you will die, not in Israel, but in Babylon." And you will be buried there, and you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Magor Mishabi means one who shrinks in fear. Mm. See, I think we've made God too nice. We've forgiven what he hasn't. 
we've allowed the discussion to carry over into into many venues that shouldn't even have been in the house of God, and it wouldn't have been there if the preachers had preached. But pastors have excused what God is not, and pastors have promised what God is not, and judgment lies now at their door, for it begins in the house of the Lord. Dr. Oliver, we're in real trouble in the United States of America, and I appreciate what you've been talking about, and we're getting down to the end of the program. Dr. Oliver, I could have you on here for 10 hours, I feel like, and you'd just be getting warmed up, um, uh, but but there's a word in, in Jeremiah, and it's in also in chapter 3, and he says this, verse 22, return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Behold, we come Amen. unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. And I feel like, Dr. Oliver, it is possible that if God's people, look, the nation may never turn around, but God's people, those who are called by his name, will turn back to him. He gives this amazing promise that I, God himself, will heal our backsliding. Dr. Oliver, could you wrap us up here with a word of encouragement, and then we'll just talk for a moment about your website and your book at the end, but give us a word of encouragement for the body of believers to understand what do we do? What do we do? We must return to holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I spoke with a prophet this afternoon, a man who called me out of the blue. I hadn't heard from him in two years. And he said, I just want to tell you that the anointing of God is upon your message. And I want, And he didn't even know the message I was talking about. He hadn't heard any broadcast or knew what was going on. But the man, the man wanted to encourage and I think we're here to encourage. I think the church needs encouragement more now than ever before. The body of believers have been preached to in a shallow manner. They have not been told the truth. And once told the truth, I believe the church will repent in turn. I think we must come to a place where we recognize that the rabbis of redefinition have defined almost every aspect of religious life. They've made grace easy. They've made the repentance something that is optional. They've talked about things that they shouldn't have. They've walked in ways that they shouldn't have. And we've come to a place in the road now that we have come to uh, acknowledge that God has a limiting time. And once you eclipse that time, there is no other, there is no other alternative. Have we eclipsed that time? Prayerfully, hopefully, no. But realistically, when you read this book and you hear the prophecy in toto and all, you come to the fact that we are following a pathway that God is going to bring judgment unless there's a change. And this book is about that kind of change. It shows over and over again how God has come to the people and modified his message enough to say to them, look, if you'll just do this, I will do that. The if-then clauses become powerful because if we will turn, God will then give us a reprieve. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying not for revival in the terms that we've seen in the past because it's been proven. Duncan Campbell was one who defined this. He said we've made revival as uh, we've, se- we've not separated crusade evangelism from real revival. 
real crusade evangelism sees many people gather and many people come to the Lord and many lives changed and all of that's good. But the cities remain about what they were and the churches remain in the position they were. Revival is really when the churches come to the great conflagration and there is a turning back toward God. There is a move of God so powerful that people in the streets fall down before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and help. When taverns empty themselves, when brothels are no longer needed, when those who are who are running illicit businesses and operating in an illicit manner fall before God in repentance, that's what America needs, and that's what must be called revival or it isn't. I appreciate it. And anyone who's not familiar with the Isle of Lewis revival, just Google out there when God stepped down from heaven and Duncan Campbell preached. You can still get that message today. It is so powerful um, from Duncan Campbell and it just unbelievable. Uh, I remember in 2005, there was a group of people that went over there to find some of those that were still alive from the revival. And uh, they found some and they had said that in Barvis, no one was arrested for 20 years after that revival. 20 years. I couldn't believe it. So that's the power that God has. And Dr. Oliver, thank you for coming on. Folks, we got to turn back to the Lord. And Dr. Oliver, tell them how can they get your book um, on the road to captivity or any of the rest of the books you have? Wonderful. I don't mind telling them at all. Www.zadok, Z-A-D-O-K, publications, plural, dot com. Or they can just Google my name, C.R. Oliver. Or they can call 936-230-3543 and talk directly to BJ. Well, it's been a joy. I haven't covered all the land that I wanted to, but uh, we've looked at some very serious issues. And the stuff that's really taboo and no-no, you know, Uh, I want to add one other word about Barvis and the Isle of Lewis. Just last month, some scientists tried to determine the 10 best places on Earth if there is an all-out holocaust. And the Isle of Lewis was number five in the list. I believe it's because God sanctioned their revival. And it can be the same for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Dr. Oliver, if possible, we'd love to get you back. We just scratched the surface. And uh, if we get time, we'd love to do that. And I just want to tell everyone listening, please get that book, uh, The Road to Captivity, C.R. Oliver, Zadok Publications. Just jump out there on the Internet and find it. I know you'll be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your church will be blessed by studying deeper into the Word of God. And with that, I'd like to say to everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the Remnant Call. This is Brother Frank saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion